Today is April 29th. If you're not aware, it's National Dance Day. It is also National Shrimp Scampi Day. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Exciting. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, greet somebody right around you and uh, just wish them a national uh, happy Shrimp Scampi Day, would you? <clears throat> Hey guys, hey, it's just from Sampy Day, all right? It's all right, you know? It's okay. <laughs> well, uh, last week, first hour, we had kind of a moment, if you were in that hour. I talked about it a little bit second hour, but not too much, so I thought I would reflect on it a little bit today. Uh, the best way I can describe it is we're kind of w- walking with Sherry through really the end of, of life for her, uh, was that kind of a moment where two military soldiers come to the door to say to a loved one, we're sorry your loved one uh, was killed in action, or maybe a hospital room where (coughs) the doctor comes out and says, hey, we're sorry to inform you we did everything we could. And the reaction of the individuals hearing that news, uh, they kind of sort of um, lose some muscle control. And I I think I sort of had that Last week, it was very different for me. You know, people grieve. Uh, most people like to grieve very privately. Uh, that's probably my preference as well. But, um, but last week was one of those days that I couldn't really help it, don't really know what happened. It was on suffering. I think it ended up just being kind of a God moment. Um, but if you weren't in that worship, I um, sort of had that moment of kind of just falling, really, in grief. And... Uh, Even in that moment, within just a few seconds, uh, people within our church came up and gathered around, uh, literally within three to four seconds, very quietly, nobody panicked. It was just, uh, let's just gather around and pray, and that's that's what they did. A lot of things happened last week that were very interesting. Uh, One of them was the last song. Uh, You know, I've been talking to Sherry, she said, I want my funeral service to be about joy, and then she said, and if you don't know Sherry, she's my sister, plays piano here, has been involved in our worship ever since day one. Uh, in fact, she's worked for me at two different churches. She's nine years older than me, but she's worked for me. It's, it's been something I've rather enjoyed, actually, um, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and anyway, so, um, so we, David planned the worship last week and planned that when he led, the last song would be, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. And he didn't know that just a few days before that, Sherry would tell me on my tombstone, I'd like the phrase, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And um, even that week of kind of working through worship, the worship team, a couple of the members of the worship team said, why are we doing this song? It's not really that good without keyboard. We really need keyboard on this song. Maybe we should scratch it. Even the morning of, uh, they were thinking maybe we should scratch this song because uh, it's not really coming together that well. And it's kind of an upbeat song, and David didn't realize how kind of, I, would, I didn't know how I was going to end either. It certainly wasn't the way I planned it. And he, even in his mind, thought maybe we should scratch this song. And, and by the way, I didn't even know I was going to share what Sherry had told me, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And God just has a way of putting all those things together. I, 
The only way I can describe any of that is just to say it's a bit otherworldly. Uh, Sherry was watching during first hour. Uh, she was a bit tearful with us, which I think also was a good thing. I went to see her after church. Uh, our video team had, um, out of respect and concern for Sherry, cut the video feed right after I'd kind of fallen. And, and you, I knew exactly what Sherry was going to think, you know, as she's watching it. It's like a cliffhanger on your final episode of your favorite show. And you're like, what, what happened? What happened? And so we laughed about that. Honestly, in the moment, I was a bit annoyed with myself. Um, I was uh, kind of thinking, what, what, what is happening here? I have a pretty high loyalty gene in me, and so uh, I don't want anything to take away from Sherry and her message of joy. And so I was processing that, and yet at the same time, uh, several of you helped me with that. Mike came up to me afterwards, and he said, because the message was on Jesus weeping, and he goes, if Jesus wept, so can you. I thought that was a pretty good point. And here Kenny is. Kenny comes as one of those early people that comes up on the stage and lays his hands on my uh, leg and, and is praying out loud uh, for me. And even in that moment, even though I'm kind of processing a variety of things in that moment, I'm reflecting on just about a month ago when Kenny's uncle committed suicide and Kenny then was in our worship service and was processing that, was hearing things from the message that day that he said he really needed to hear. And the next day at the gym, after he was really being encouraged to kind of work through some things over there, broke down, and I was able to support him as well. So it kind of reminded me that we're sort of brother to brother, shoulder to shoulder, back to back. No matter what we go through, we're there for one another. And that is something that's tremendously healing in the life of a church. I didn't even make it to my application points, which uh, in the story of Lazarus, Jesus hears, he hurts, and he heals. Uh, my application points after that were, well, we listen, we love, and we pray. Uh, if you don't know how to deal with somebody who's in grief, just listen, just love, and just pray. Because we can't heal, only Jesus can heal, so we pray. And even as I, I never got there last week during first hour, and then after reflecting on it, I thought, I really didn't need to get there because that's exactly what you did. Listen, love, and pray. And so a more powerful sermon was preached last week than what I would have ever said. And today, James chapter 5, James goes right from that section of suffering and comfort right to prayer. Verse 13 of chapter 5, is any one of you among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even though, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, when you hear a scripture like that, you might be tempted to do what, what a lot of us do when we approach texts like this, and we say, well, Stephen's going to preach a very churchy message on the need and the value of prayer, and I probably should be listening, but the truth is that I already feel bad because my prayer life is not what it should be. And if you've thought that, uh, I want to kind of change your attitude today, because I think when it comes to prayer and praise and confession, the things we're going to talk about, every person in here knows we ought to pray. 
Every person understands we should do these things. Every person here probably feels inadequate in these things. And so there is already a level of guilt that we feel because we know we should, but maybe we say, I'm just not disciplined, or I know I ought to sing and praise, but I just don't feel like it today, or maybe I should confess some secret sin or attitude, but I'm uncomfortable. So what I want to do today is just kind of change your mindset. Because prayer is not a duty, it's a delight. It's a gift, it's not guilt. Praise is not an obligation, it's celebration. Confession is not hurtful, it's helpful. But friends, no good relationship is ever formed out of obligation or guilt. The best relationships don't happen because you feel obligated to be in them. In fact, one of the most hurtful things you could ever say to somebody that you're in a relationship with, with is, I'm only in this because we made a commitment. Or I would leave you except I feel obligated to stay. Now what would you say to somebody who said that to you? Well look, nobody's keeping you here. There's the door, right? Because nobody wants to be told I'm only in this for obligation. Now do I do things in relationships out of obligation? Sure. Do I feel commitment? Sure. Do I have duty? Absolutely. But my primary motivation is not obligation, but love. Does that make sense to everybody? So when I talk about prayer and praise and confession today, I'm not wanting to add layers of guilt onto you. I'm not wanting to preach at you. I just want you to see the value in these things. I want you to build a more loving relationship with God. So how do you approach prayer and praise and confession? It has a lot to do with your view of God. If you grew up in a very um, kind of rigorous faith tradition, if you grew up in a faith tradition where prayer and confession was very formal, If you grew up believing that God was unapproachable, that has an effect on how you pray today. If you view God as an angry parent, that you see confession only as a time, for example, like a time when you were a child and maybe a dad who's very angry and you came in and knocked on the door of his room and said with a shaking voice, Dad, I have something to tell you. Well, if you see God like that, it will change how you confess and it will affect it. But if you see your relationship with God through a purely intellectual window, then when you confess to God or when you talk to God, you'll see it maybe just through a theological point of view, and it'll never reach your heart. So guys, listen, prayer is not just a, it's not a duty, it's a delight. It's a gift for people of God to commune with their adoptive, loving, merciful, heavenly Father. And so he says, are you suffering? Come over here. Are you needing comfort? Come on, get over here. You need prayer, I need praise, and need assurance. I'm here for you. Now, do you think of God like that? Like that loving, heavenly Father? So here's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is conversation. It's as simple as that. You say, I don't know how to pray. Well, I'm not going to go through the five steps on the best practices, but I am going to give you an acronym that we use here at church. And uh, we've taught it several times, and it applies to James chapter 5 very well, so we're going to use it again. And it's really, um, here's the acronym, you ready? It's P-R-A-Y. I know it's difficult. Um, We like to keep things kind of simple around here. And so our prayer acronym acronym is uh, PRAY. And the first one is, actually before I go into that, which one of these do you think is the one that we use most often? Ask, right? Because why? Because that's just how we think prayer should be. It's asking God for things. So most of our prayer life is focused on, hey, God, 
can you be with me? God, provide for me. God, take this issue away from me. God, give me an A on my test. God, help me in this relationship. God, help my NFL team draft well. God, let there be a parking space by the front door. Give us traveling mercy and keep us safe. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that any way to have a conversation? Men, if all you did was ask your wife things, how would that go for you? Honey, give me coffee. Dear, I ask you to provide me a meal. Babe, I, I want the house clean and the dog bathed and the children to be well-mannered. Amen. How's that going to work for you? Women, how would you respond if your husband did that? Um, get it yourself, Jack, and don't call me babe. <laughs> Ladies, if all you did was demand things of your husband, how do you think he would respond? If there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's how he's going to respond, all right. If there was a honey-do list at your house, um, and let's say he came home and you wrote a list out for him and it was on the counter when he walked through the door, and if it said, you need to take out the trash, you need to transport little Johnny to soccer, then go to the grocery store because I have been running around all day and the least that you can do is give me a break. That is a purely hypothetical illustration. How, how, would, that, how, would, that, how would you respond, guys, to that? There's no relationship in that. So what we're going to do is walk through P-R-A-Y today. We're going to talk through this scripture. The first one is praise. Praise God. Start in prayer with the right heart and the right mind. Focus on God. Focus on His character, His grace, His goodness, His faithfulness, love. Compliment God. Thank Him for your day. Thank Him for the blessings. Thank Him for caring for you. Men and women, would that make a difference in your relationships? Men, what if you sat on the couch with your spouse And you said, honey, I love you. You mean so much to me. You are beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman I know inside and out. People look up to you. You're such a good mom to our kids. Your eyes, they still melt me. Now, ladies, if he said that, how would you feel? What would would happen? You'd be like, where is my husband? What did you do with him? (laughs) Women, if you came to your man and you said, I respect you so much, I admire you, you are so talented, when you walk into the room, everybody notices. You just have a presence about you. Our kids adore you. You are so handsome. Have you been working out? (laughs) Guys, how would you feel? Where is my wife and what have you done with her? All right? Here's my point. Why do we treat God like an errand boy? Why do we approach prayer like a honey-do list? Start by adoring God. In the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, start like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or holy is your name, God. You deserve reverence. James said we should sing songs of praise. That our hearts should be filled with praise. And some of you love singing. And so when you hear this encouragement, your heart leaps within you. Some of you, when you hear this encouragement, you hate to sing and you puke a little. I know, it's not really appropriate to say that, but I sometimes allow gym talk, like puke a little, to come into the church. You can deal with it. I told first hour to suck it up, so I think you can handle it. James said we should sing songs of praise. And I know, singing is a weird thing. I mean, where else in the world do we all sing as a group together, right? 
I mean, you might sing in the car, you might sing in the shower. Um, you might, if you're at a very kind of old school concert, join up and sing with some other people on some old songs. Don't stop believing or what have you. But you come in here and this is one of the few places in the world where we all come together and sing. But I think about singing and praising and how important it is. I mean, it kind of unifies us, right? I mean, in your college or high school, you think about singing the, the fight song together and you're there arm in arm. We're going to take on this great enemy. There's something about that. Or when I think about worship songs. When I'm in those moments, really, especially of need in my life, a worship song will just come to mind. And something will pop in my head, and I'll just start to sing it. This week, Julia uh, gave uh, Sherry or brought Sherry's Alexa. I'm not sure how that worked, but um, Sherry's there, and she said, look, Julia brought the Alexa. I said, oh, that's great. So across the room now, so she doesn't have to get up, she can say, Alexa, play worship music. And she just sits and listens to worship music. I asked her, I said, what, do you, what, is it, what occupies your mind these days? And she said, well, I think about things I'd like to do. I think about things I should be doing. And she said, I just, I like to listen to worship because I like to see if there's a new song out there maybe we can incorporate into our worship ministry here. Still thinking about that. There's something about praise. There's something about worship that in the most difficult of times or in the most joyful of times, songs just come to your heart. And so praise. Praise God. That's where you start in prayer. The second one is our repent. Repentance is acknowledgement of of things you need to confess to God. Our motivation is found in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You don't repent necessarily out of a guilt feeling, but out of the, out of the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. You repent and come clean before Him, not because of fear, but because of His love. And repentance is a humble act. It takes humility to come clean before God. It takes humility to say, I'm sorry. That's the reason that it doesn't often happen. Because all of us have pride. We like to keep up appearances. But repentance and prayer puts you in the right posture, a humble posture before God. So before you ever ask, repent. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you may be healed. There is something healing about confessing to God, confessing to your brother or sister in Christ. Remember when David had, had sinned before God, and this is a guy after God's own heart. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had had her husband killed in battle. And he carried that as a secret sin. And Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4, are his words of what he was feeling on the inside out. It said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is an individual that both day and night, there was just a gnawing in the pit of his stomach. He knew what he had done, but he was unwilling to confess it. That's what happens when you live a duplicitous life. Exhaustion happens. Depression happens. I have a really good counselor friend who years ago, we were talking about this topic of depression, and she said there are three uh, causes for depression. One of them is you have it chronically. You've had it from as far as you can remember, and you'll have it until the day you die, and you may, over time, need to be medicated for that. That's one. It's more rare than we think. The second one is more acute. It happened because there was some event in your life. There was a divorce. There was a, um, there was a death in your family or what have you. And so you have depression. You have it for a period of time. You may or may not need to be medicated through that. Hopefully not. And you'll make it out on the other end of that. The third, she said, is because somewhere in your life there is not equilibrium. You, you say one thing, 
but you live another way. You have certain beliefs that you know you should hold on to, and yet you're not holding on to those. Instead, you're holding on to some secrecy. And she said this leads to that kind of uh, exhaustion inside. And you might say today, I can't confess. It'll bring about too much pain. It'll cause too much hurt. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Depending on what the offense is, it may cause devastating pain. But at the same time, the more you suppress it, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. And that's why the Bible says, when we confess, we are healed. There is freedom in that. The devil, the enemy, loves the darkness. If he can keep you in darkness, if he can keep you in secrecy, then what happens is he has more power, more control over your life. But if he can release that, and now you're able to release it, and it exposes him in the light, he doesn't like that. Because it breaks the power and the chain of darkness in your life. It breaks that sin habit in your life when you confess it. So some of you today... In a room this size, undoubtedly have something in your life that you know, I should be going to my brother in Christ. I should be going to a friend. I should be going to a pastor. I should be going to my sister in Christ. And then ask. I don't need to say much about this because we're all pretty good about it, but Philippians 4, 6, should we ask? Paul says, yes, present your request to God. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount said, yeah, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you for everyone to ask and seeks, and finds, God will give those answers. And he says, but which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So when you ask, the Bible says Jesus will give. And so when you ask, remember what we studied in James 4, though. When you ask and you do not receive, you, do not, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And then here in James 5, is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. This verse is one of the most misapplied, misconstrued verses in the Bible. Because when you read it, just like that, call the elders, anoint with oil, they will be healed and raised up. Is that true 100% of the time? We know that's not true 100% of the time or there would be no death. No one would ever uh, go from this side of eternity to that side of eternity. If everybody that we prayed for, there was never any death, we just said, let's just claim this promise every time. And so what we don't realize is that, number one, that God doesn't always heal the way we think He should heal. Sometimes he, pray, he heals from the inside out. Sometimes it's an inside job. Sometimes, and you do, you do know this, right? God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. He's more concerned about your internal spiritual healing than he is your physical healing. He's promised that one day you will die and that you'll be walking from this side of eternity to the next. So sometimes the way God heals is internally. Sometimes the way God heals is relationally, and sometimes the way God heals is to carry us from this side of heaven to that side of heaven and to offer us restoration. And when we could not walk here, we'll be walking and running on streets of gold. So sometimes God answers in a way that we don't necessarily think or the way that we don't necessarily agree with. But don't miss the point. Call the elders. You know what that tells me? You're not just randomly selecting elders out there in the street somewhere and going, you're older than I am. How about, you know, the word elder literally means old guy. Um, That's what it means. You're not just out there randomly grabbing some old guy and saying, would you pray for me? It means you're a part of a community of faith. 
And you're calling the leaders within that church to say, I need you to come pray with me. And every time our management team gets together, the first thing we do is go through a list of individuals that, we need, that need prayer. And if you need to, to have them pray for you, or you need some leaders here to come pray for you or anoint you with oil, then it was somewhat medicinally at times. Today, we do it also as a symbol of God's strength and healing in our life. So if you would like that, you're in a time of need, then feel free to call and to ask because it's offered and extended to you. So ask. And then why is yield? Yield just means that you acknowledge and realize that your best plans may not be God's best plans. To yield means that you understand and admit that God knows best. Even Jesus did that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he just begins to pray, Father, if there's any other way for the redemption of the world to happen, if there's any other way for mankind to be saved, God, would you take this from me, this suffering? Is there a plan B, God? And when it's clear the answer was not there, Jesus said what? Not my will, but your will be done. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's a yielding of our spirit to God's spirit. It's a yielding of our thought and patterns to God's. It's a yielding of what is right to have happen, whatever that is, even if we don't agree. Now, I want to recommend a couple things here at the end, and then I want to tell you a final story. The things I would recommend about prayer are, are number one, I would encourage you to keep a prayer journal. Um, If you're not disciplined, it especially is helpful because just get a notebook and put on the left column, P-R-A-Y, and just walk right through it. P, praise. God, this is what I'm grateful for. Thank you for your character and your love and your faithfulness. Repent. God, here's some things in my life, my heart it was wrong in this area this week, or here's some things I need to let you know about. And then ask. It's okay to ask. Small things, big things. God, what, 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 here's some things that I have in my heart. And then finally, why? God, I want to yield, not my will, but yours be done. And then the last thing um, is that you would get that journal and that you would plan your prayer time. Just like that moment where you sat on the couch with your spouse and you had time, you took time to have a conversation, take time to have a conversation with God. I don't know the Bible says pray without ceasing. That means on the road or when you're at work, absolutely. But I'm talking about those moments where it's just you and God and you are praying before Him and you're, you're scheduling that time. You know what? You schedule, that's what's a priority to you. And so make it important. Make it a priority. Schedule it. Put it on the calendar. Everything that's important to you, you schedule And find a friend or two that would pray with you sometimes. That you know they've got your back. And if you wanted to confess something, they would be there for you. And they would honor you. And uh, you feel like, well, I don't know who that would be. Just start praying about that. God, help me to find somebody. What I've found out is the more that I'm willing to confess to my friend, you know what happens? The more my friend's willing to confess to me. The more that I'm willing to be authentic, the more that they're willing to be authentic with me as well. And you may be surprised at the reaction, by the way. Yes, there's pain in confession, but you may be surprised at the reaction of your friend. I have a lot of people come to me and tell me things. I've heard a lot of things over the years. And um, I've learned that no matter what it is, I, I, I'm never surprised anymore. And so the reaction I always have is the same. It's never, what in the world is wrong with you? Uh, unless, unless there actually is something wrong with them and they need me to say that, then I might say that. But, um, but if they have an attitude, I might say that. But if they have a heart of repentance and says, I'm just coming to you because I want to come clean with somebody, they will always get the same reaction. God loves you. God forgives. 
God's grace, His mercy covers all. Now go make it right. So find somebody that you can confess to. Now, last thing. I want to tell you a little story, and I'll tell it because James told it. It's at the end of James chapter 5. By the way, we're almost at the end of this James journey. We've been on for several months now. So we're at the end. Next week, I think, is our last one. And, um, and so verse 16, it says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was there praying before God, and God answered his prayer. And when we first hear from Elijah, it is in 1 Kings chapter 17, when he stands in front of Ahab, a terrible king, married to a woman named Jezebel. Anybody in here named Jezebel? No? Anybody name your, don't name your kid Jezebel. That would be, that'd be horrible. Um, anybody know a Jezebel? No? Okay, good. Good. Why? Why don't we name anybody Jezebel? Because she's not a nice person. And in the Bible, she's very ruthless. Now, here is Elijah, and it already has not been raining for six months, and he, and he knows it's not going to rain for three more years. He tells King Ahab, and King Ahab wants Elijah dead because he blamed him for it. And so Jezebel then wants him dead also. And so he flees to the brook at Shereth, and there at the brook of Shereth, God takes care of him, and the birds feed him, and there is water in the brook. But then, for whatever reason, the water starts to dry up. God had a different plan. And so Elijah starts to moan. I'm like, what is happening? Is God mad at me? And so Elijah goes into a town, and he finds a widow there. And, uh, and, and at the, the widow at Zarephath, and he approaches her and he says, God has sent me here. Please make me something to eat. And her response was, I just have a little bit of flour, a little bit of water, a little bit of oil, just enough to make me one cake that my son and I are going to eat before we die. She's such the optimist and such a cheery woman. And uh, she says, if I just make this one cake, it's going to be our last meal. And Elijah goes, well, if you would provide for me, God's going to keep you kind of having oil and water and flour in that container. And she took a chance. Sure enough, every day, day after day, the same amount of flour, same amount of oil, same amount of water was there. And there was a cake every day for them to eat. And then, out of nowhere, the son gets sick and dies. And the widow starts to wonder, is this really what's going to happen? I've been caring for this man of God, Elijah, and now all of a sudden my son dies too? And then we see Elijah has the same questions. God, was it me? Did I do something wrong? And there you have Elijah. And Elijah then is used to help raise that boy. And um, God uses that moment for a miraculous moment as well. And then you see Elijah on Mount Carmel fighting the prophets of Baal, the false prophets of another God. And you see him call down fire from heaven that consumes not just the sacrifice, but the rocks and the dirt and everything. And he calls fire from heaven. And ultimately after this, Jezebel hears about what happens to her prophets, and she says, God, deal with my, me harshly if by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you are not like one of them, meaning uh, you're next. You're going to die too. So now Jezebel is after him again. And so he runs, and he's weary. And he's so weary that he sits underneath a tree, and he, he just moans about even life itself. And Elijah's in such a place where he says, God, you just take my life. Just it's over. 
That's how desperate he is. But God meets him. He meets him in that moment. That moment of weariness. That moment of struggle. That moment of doubt. And it's really interesting that he had all that doubt despite the, the incredible miracles he had seen that God did. In, st- in spite of the Mount Carmel incident and the boy being raised and the, the cakes being made every day and the birds providing for him, you would think for all that blessing, he would look up to heaven and say, God, thank you so much. I will never forget how good you are. But instead, he moans for his life itself. It's amazing. But then later, God meets him. And in the last place we see Elijah, after he passes the torch to Elisha, we see him in the New Testament at the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is there and Moses and Elijah are there. He shows up with Jesus there. Listen, friends, James is a beautiful book. It's a long book in terms of, its, in terms of not its words, but its, its meaning. And we have uh, a little bit more to go, but really, our, our hearts and our heads need to be communing with God on high. We need our own Mount of Transfiguration kind of moments where we are spending time in prayer and praise and confession. And you know one of the things I pray for you today? I pray for kind of weary moments. Uh, Moments like I had last weekend and moments like Elijah had as he sat below that tree because sometimes it's not until we get to the weary moments that we really surrender. Sometimes it's not until the moments of you've kind of lost yourself and you realize you're not in control after all. I would pray for that for you. That when you're weary and you're tired, you're tired enough to finally surrender and it pushes you into prayer and praise and confession more than your strength itself ever would. So I'm challenging you today to pray. Put it on your calendar. P-R-A-Y. To praise. To spend time just worshiping, learning the songs, changing your radio station, and trying to to just take in the words of God and sing those back to Him. And I'm also challenging you to confess to one another. Because in confession, you're healed. And you may say, I don't know what will people think. You may be very surprised to realize that when you confess to them, They'll receive that, and they'll receive it with grace, and they'll realize that they are the same as you are. And um, there is far, far few things, very few things that are as freeing as not having any secrets or carrying the weight of those burdens and replacing that with doing what Jesus said. The Jesus who cares for you, come to me. Come. All you who are weary, all you who are burdened, I will give you rest. God, we pray today. For surrender. God, we pray as we worship that if there are things that need to be described or confessed to either a brother or sister in Christ or a pastor or a friend, that God, people would take a step and they would be willing to, to, to trust a little bit and to, to bear the consequences and yet also to be freed of the burdens. And God, we pray for those who need to make a first-time commitment to Christ. And God, I know that we have a couple who are uh, making commitments today through being baptized. And God, as that happens, it's a moment of true humility where they come before you and completely um, 
offer themselves to you and say, God, this is a sacrifice. Uh, it's a small sacrifice in light of what you did. And so, God, we just do it in obedience to you. And so we pray for those who are making that decision today. And God, you walked a hill for us. We can certainly walk an aisle for you. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us in this day, in this process. And God, I just pray that we would feel enlivened and encouraged. That um, even when days are heavy, even when uh, we're processing some deep things, God, that somehow our spirit is refreshed within us and renewed. And so, God, we, we thank you for that today. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for surrender, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be right over here, and if you guys want to um, talk about anything, or if you want to make a decision for Christ, you can do that today. And uh, the rest of us are all going to stand and sing. And if you have some private thing to do in your own heart and mind, this is a good opportunity to do that before the Lord. Let's worship together.